John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light because that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Think about this verse. He was in the world and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. And he has a name. Somebody shout that name. <laughs> Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him. And cried. Somebody say he cried. He said this. Is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And we all know he was six months behind him. And of his fullness have we all received. And grace for grace. For the law that was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, Messiah. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John. When the Jews finally sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and he denied not, but he confessed and said, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, he said, what then? Are you Elias? He said, I'm not. Art thou a prophet? He said, no. They said, who are you? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Somebody say crying. Crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
I want to tell this congregation and all who have gathered and all who are watching today, we need a voice in the wilderness. We need a voice in the wilderness. Father, your word is so pure and holy. And we desire as your people to be holy. We want your word to take root in good soil today as we present our bodies unto you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. May you find good pleasure in us. And may your word satisfy every longing and void in our souls as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your word says we shall be filled. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do my best today to not be here for very long. I feel somewhat overwhelmed and emotional today as I spend time with the Lord and I ask Him to search my heart and know me and know that I'm right before God. Do that every day. But I get overwhelmed when I think about the fact that I even have that opportunity. It's kind of hard to imagine that sin is the reason why he came. And that I was born that way. In sin. Shaping in iniquity. But that he takes time to hear me. When I ask him to search my heart and know me. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter who your mother was. It doesn't matter if you're married, have a family, or if this church is your family. It doesn't matter your background or where you come from. He has time. For you today. He has time for you if your past is checkered with failures and faults and messed up. Or if you were born the son of a preacher. And were scared to death at four years old that your life was full of sin. So you wanted to be baptized in Jesus name. I now study in the place where I was baptized. My library is in the very place where I was baptized in Jesus' name over 35 years ago. And to think that God looked at an ignorant child who really knew nothing about life but said, God, I don't want to be a sinner. I want my heart to be pure. I want my life to be right. I want to please you. And when I went down in that watery grave of baptism, it was not just H2O in a fiberglass tank that was cold as ice. But there was an invisible act that was taking place that day as a name was invoked over my life. And the very blood that he shed begins to wash over my soul. I'm telling you today, if you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, 
you'll never know how good it feels to go down in that water a sinner. But come up out of that water and know that your sins have not just been washed away. They have been remitted. They have been forgotten. They have been forgotten by the grace and the mercy of God who came to meet us where we were. The state and condition of God has never been predicated on the state and the condition of man. For when I failed, he was still perfect. In my humanity, my frailty, my finite way of reasoning and thinking has never stopped him from being infinite. It has never caused God to trip and stumble and say, I just did not see that coming. I never believed that I would come to this place and that this young man that I put my name on would somehow confuse me so much that now I don't even know how to answer his prayer. I know you may feel confused today, but God is not confused. I know you may feel a little intimidated today, but God is not intimidated. And the things that you and I are still trying to figure out, he already knows it. The things that you and I are trying to decide whether or not it's worth it, he's already paid the cost. And I can tell you this morning, it's worth it. While we're still trying to figure out how much we're willing to lay down to serve him, he's already laid it all down to serve us. I feel like telling you today that the neglect of a biblical principle does not negate the power of that principle. And you can act like today that it's not worth it and God does not require this of us to lay down our lives and follow Him. But let us never discount the ideology that was promoted and produced and given to us by the voice of our Messiah Himself who said to us that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. The very first prerequisite to Christianity is not finding happiness. The prerequisite to Christianity is not being sure that you agree in the totality of the scripture. I tell you this morning that if you can't believe this book, what else are you going to believe? What else do we have? What else is there to convince us that the word of God is right? I found myself in a closet with the Lord this week. And I told God, I said, Lord, we have come to a place in this hour that we're either going to have to decide wholly, fully, without reservation that the word of God is either 100% right or it's 100% wrong. You cannot pick and choose what you want and believe that that's right, but that's not. I want to believe with all my heart today and I choose to do so. That his word is right and that to follow his word is righteousness I know that because you're born into this thing it does not mean that 
everybody in your lineage has believed what you believe. You understand what I'm saying? You may be born again of water and spirit into the body of Christ, but your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather may have thought that Christ was a heretic. May have thought that Christ was a lunatic. But my heart today is grieved for people that will never know what it feels like to be in the presence of the Lord, to experience His goodness and His kindness that leads us to repentance. I know the world says that repentance is judgmentalism. The world says that repentance is legalism. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, no, no. No, they, they believe that, that rules and restrictions and guidelines, that, that's what they think is legalism. No, you don't understand. We have made repentance a prayer. What others call confession, we now call repentance. And we have said that if we confess to the Lord and say that I'm sorry for what I've done, then He forgives us and He's just and faithful. If we just confess our faults and He forgives our faults and we go on. But understand, that's not the ending of repentance. There is a perfect picture drawn for us of repentance. When a woman, the scripture said, and I don't believe God wastes words. I believe that all scripture is divinely inspired by God. And I don't believe there's an accident for any words that are there. And that's why the scripture said that the woman was literally caught in the very act of adultery. In other words, it was not something that somebody could say, hey, I heard that she committed adultery. It was something that she was caught in the very act of it. In other words, there could be no denying that she was wrong. But Jesus meets with her and standing around her are her accusers. Who are already breaking the law that they're saying that she broke because they didn't bring their buddy with them that she was caught sleeping with. The law said that both guilty parties had to be presented. But I find it interesting that for some reason, her partner in crime is not in the picture. Isn't that something? Because if you sin with some people, they'll be sure that they never take the fall, but you get it every time. And you never learn your lesson because you go back with them. God bless you, you're dismissed. Where was he? Where was he hiding? Where was this weak man who was willing to say, Guys, whatever you do, just don't tell them it was me. Just, 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 can I tell you what, where I believe he was? Can I be sincere with you? I don't, I don't have any way to prove this, but I'm going to tell you where I believe he was. I believe he was standing there with a rock in his hand. I do. I believe sincerely he was standing there with a rock in his hand because when the, when the first person throws the stone and hits her, then he joins in the crowd and silences the accusation. But I want to tell you right now, he could have killed the woman that he committed the sin with and he still would have not been forgiven. Just because you silence a past does not mean that your past is forgotten. This is not what you were expecting, is it? So go ahead and murder that woman and then you walk on. But I want to tell you, sir, your issue is not the woman. Because when she's dead, you'll find another woman. Because your problem is in your heart. 
The problem is not that woman. The problem is what you're dealing with in your spirit that made you pursue that woman. And so if you don't put the rock down, if you don't put the stone down, nothing's going to change. You go ahead and throw the stone. Just join the crowd of the stone throwers. But just because you silence her does not mean that her voice is dead. And so they said, what do you say? We say she was caught in the very act. And his response was, if you have no sin in your life, whoever is here today that is sinless, whoever is here today that has not committed sin, do not forget Jesus Christ was a Pharisee understanding the law, and that's why he said what he said, because every one of them rascals that was standing there with a stone in their hand that day had already broken the law. And he said, if you are without sin, then go ahead and throw your rock. Let him that has no fault just go ahead and throw the stone. Just go ahead and take care of that. So they begin to reason among themselves, which is worse, forgiving this woman that hath committed adultery or all of us together breaking the same law of not bringing the guilty party before the Lord. So I don't want to get too deep in this thing, but I want to take you somewhere. So Jesus looks at her and her head is bowed low. And we know that because he tells her to to look up. He says, look, woman, as if to say shame was upon her that she had bowed her head low, looking in the earth. And he says, look, woman, where are thine accusers? Where are all, all, all all the stone throwers in your life? She looks up and the accusers are gone. This is where we stop and rejoice most of the time. When people stop accusing, we assume that we're forgiven. So there's another side of this. You can silence the accuser and still be guilty. Where are your accusers? They're not here. Well, I guess since my accusers are gone, I'm good to go. Jesus said, go thy way and sin no more. You know what that is? It's legalism. Well, it is. That's, it's legalism. Because his mercy was not extended to her in the fact that, honey, if you leave here today and you want to go have you another affair, just go get it. Is that too plain? Where's your accusers? They're gone. Okay, the accusers are gone. Now, we got to fix the heart issue. Go your way and stop. Don't, don't do this again. This is Repentance. And this is why people are struggling to be converted. Because they pray a little prayer and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And we baptize them in the name of Jesus. And then they crucify the Son of God afresh. Over and over and over. Because they have not repented, they confessed. And so, we come to the book of John. And John speaks of the light. 
He speaks that John Baptist was a witness of that light. He was a man that was sent from God to bear witness of the Son of God. And he takes about three years of his life. He goes out into the wilderness. He spends some time there. And when he comes back, the only thing he can preach is repent. Understand, John didn't come out of the wilderness after three years preaching confession. John came out of the wilderness preaching repentance. John came out of the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came out of the wilderness saying, I am not the light, but I am here to bear witness of that light. John said, I am not the lamb, but he is on the way. I am baptizing with water. But there's one coming after me whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire not many days hence. John, of all of the things that you could preach after three years in the wilderness, why would you come out of the wilderness screaming and crying to the top of your lungs, repent! Is that all you know how to preach? Is that all you know how to say? Repent. Do you know why John felt the pressure to preach repent? Because Jesus was coming. That's what he said. Not many days hence, he's coming after me. Do you know why this preacher today feels so much pressure? To preach repent in 2019? Because Jesus is coming. It's not going to be many days from right now. I believe the coming of the Lord is imminent. I believe that Jesus is coming back. And I believe that he's coming back for a church that has kept herself without spot or wrinkle. So let's talk about this. Are y'all ready? It's Sunday morning. I'm hurrying. Are you ready? I'm going to save a little time because we've got to get where I'm going. Paul told the church at Ephesus, he said, the Lord is returning for a church that has kept herself without spot or blemish, without spot or wrinkle. I want to ask you a question today, and I don't expect an answer. I'm asking you to search your heart before the Lord, Okay. How big does a spot have to be before it's a spot? And how noticeable does a wrinkle have to be before it's a wrinkle? Because some of you women are really worried about wrinkles that nobody else even notices. And you're like, I've got crow's feet. And we're like, no, you don't. You've got smile face. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you notice wrinkles on you that I'll never notice. Oh, I'm going somewhere, so y'all just put on your seatbelt. I'm saying that a man will know more wrinkles in his own life 
than anybody that he'll ever have interaction with. Now, this is going to sound a little silly. Let's all just be adults here, okay? Some of you have wrinkles in places that man are, they're not meant to see because they're secret places. But it doesn't matter whether it's a secret place or a revealed place. There are people that have died of skin cancer and the cancer was on the outside of the body. There are people that have been sick with cancers on the inside of the body. That without a trained eye, without testing, you cannot see that. So which one's more dangerous? You understand what I'm saying? Let every man examine him, 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 his own self. Let him examine himself. So I'm seeking God and I'm saying, Lord, I want to be right. I want to do the right thing. I, I, I want to, I'm going to speak the truth and I want to speak the truth in love. Because I've been asking God for many a year now. I've been asking the Lord for a long time. Like, how much does it have to be to be a spot? And how much does it have to be to be a wrinkle? Does it have to be a heaven or hell issue to be a spot? Does it have to be chapter, line, and verse to be a spot? Or can we bring this back to the parable that he told uh, his disciples when he said that when you've done all that's been commanded of you, say then you are an unprofitable servant. What does that mean if I live only by commandment? And the commandment is the only thing that I accomplish. I'm still unprofitable. That's why Jesus said, you have heard it said of old that if a man commits adultery with a woman, that they're to be stoned. But I say unto you that if a man looks on a woman and lusteth after her in his heart, he said this is not about the commandment. It's about the spirit of a man that wants to break the commandment. You've got to live your life in such a way that not everything has to be jot and tittle for it to be a law in your life. I pray to God that I have convictions in my life that supersede the commandment and the law of God because if I don't have conviction that supersedes the law, I am an unprofitable servant. But John was not calling for repentance about people that lacked conviction necessarily. He was calling for repentance from people that were breaking the law. So my question to you is, if our conviction does not supersede the law, and we're not even meeting the law, then where does that put us? Are you willing to take your chances and say, that's not how my grandmother taught me to be baptized? I told somebody this this week. I said, you know what? The Godhead is a mystery that's been made known to the saints. It takes a little revelation. You have to open up your mind and your heart to be willing to receive the revelation of who God is. 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed the Son. You've got to be willing to receive the revelation of who he is. You can't close your spirit off and receive that revelation. You've got to know who he is. But I want to tell you right now, it takes absolutely no revelation for us to read the scripture when it says that men need to be men, women need to be women. Men, you need to love your wife and leave the other man's wife alone. There's no revelation in that. None. There's absolutely no revelation in flee fornication. It's, it's there. That takes no revelation. I don't have to know what it means when he says that if you don't at least fulfill the law, you're like missing way, way short. Because if you get all of the law figured out and you still, still are unprofitable, where does that leave people that are nitpicking the scripture and pulling it to pieces and saying this don't matter anymore, that don't matter anymore? If you can be unprofitable and understand the scripture, where does that leave us? Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'll tell you, church family, there's something wrong with, yes, our society's a little whacked, okay? But, but let, let, let's, let's back up just for a second. Our society's a little messed up. But there's nothing going on that we haven't called. I mean, sincerely. They started all this crazy stuff about identifying as whoever you want to. And I've, I've told people for years. I said, as soon as they start doing this stuff and it gets in the court systems and they start, all this is going to be legal and that's going to be legal. I said, the very next thing that's going to happen is they're, they're going to they're legalize pedophilia. They're going to start legalizing bestiality. And what used to send men to prison will now be legal. You know why? Because wherever you set limits and then break those limits, wherever you set boundaries and then break the boundaries, if you ever start breaking them, they never stop breaking. So while I'm looking at the world saying, wow, that's pretty crazy, but I called it. I wonder what the Lord thinks when he looks at the church and says, boy, she looks pretty rough, but I called it. Because I said through my servant that men would not endure sound doctrine. Said they would have itching ears. Ooh, boy. It was a lot better a while ago when we were crying and worshiping, wasn't it? Men would not endure sound doctrine. He said, now this scripture is thrown around a whole, whole lot, okay? It's thrown around a whole, whole lot. Mark them which caused division among you. How many of you ever heard that? And they usually do that with a, with a troublemaker. Mark them that cause division among you. Boy, I've heard it all my life. Set in business meetings and some preacher be divisive and cause it. The Bible said mark them that cause division among you. What does it say? What kind of division? It doesn't just say division. Actually, the Bible says people like that, you tell them either be silent, sit down, or leave. That's, that's not my doctrine. That's a book. It said if they're, if they're causing contention in the body of Christ, you just tell them. You either come under subjection to the scripture or walk. 
He said, but these people that are causing division, mark them which cause division among you, which are contrary. What? They're contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Y'all would kick Paul out of your church, I'm just telling you. He said, if they're teaching contrary to the doctrine which you have heard and you have learned, put a mark on those people. Don't turn them loose in your pulpit. Don't turn them loose in your life. Don't turn them loose in your CD player. Don't turn them loose in your DVD player. Because the longer you mess around with divisive natures of doctrines, you will eventually be deceived. If you play with a rabid dog long enough, you're going to get bit. I'm saying to you today that either this word is 100% right or it's 100% wrong. But I'm not willing to take the risk on saying I don't believe it all, so I'm not going to believe it at all. You know what I believe? Here it comes. Except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what I believe. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus said it. I believe that the word is right. I don't believe that Jesus said that. But if I want my own interpretation, this says all I got to do is confess with my mouth and believe in my heart and I'm going to be saved. I can't find it in the book. I want my heart to be right. I'm going to tell you what I believe. Wrinkles can hide some things. You ever been a, I, I don't like doing this to my book. They call it dog ear in your book. You ever done that? You ever dog eared your book? Or you flip the top page down instead of marking? I mean, goodness gracious, my business cards are too cheap to dog ear my books. I just stick one of my business cards in there and close it. Because when that page has been folded and there's a wrinkle in it, it can oftentimes cover up the content. You know what I believe? I believe that some people are covering up content in the scripture just so they can act like it don't exist. It's a spot. They got out of line with their marker just a little bit and marked out just, a, just enough. But here's the question, folks. How much is too much before it becomes a spot or a wrinkle in the body? We have got to get it in our hearts that God is not returning for a church that was less than the book of Acts. But he is coming back for a church that is greater in power, greater in authority, greater in dominion. Listen, there is no reason why 120 people effectively turned their world upside down. There were literally two men that turned all of Asia Minor upside down in less than two years. And the last conference that I attended had about 6,000 people there that night that said they believed the same thing that they believed in the book of Acts. Okay, stay with me. I'm almost done. We know the end of John Baptist, right? 
His stepdaughter comes in and dances in front of him. He has to pay the dancer. She goes to ask Herodias what, he, what, what she wants, and she says, well, let's just take John's head. Let's just take John Baptist's head. Let's just silence the preacher. Because if he'll stop preaching, then I don't have to listen to it. The best way to get rid of conviction is just turn the preacher off. <laughs> you think Herod felt that way when he stands before the Lord? Did it really eliminate conviction in your life, Herod, when you shut John up? When you listened to that Jezebel spirit that was running through Herodias, did it really make you feel better when you silenced the voice of the preacher? Or did you still lay in bed at night and try to fall asleep into a dream? And when you would doze off, you would hear, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church family, you listen to me when I tell you this is not fear among This is something I believe since I was a boy and I'll believe it forever. I believe that there are going to be people in eternity that are going to have to sit for all eternity and hear preaching that they heard. The messages that could have saved them. The messages that could have turned them around. The messages that could have brought them to where they needed to be. I believe that hell is going to be worse for people that have known the truth and denied the truth and walked away from the truth. Could you imagine sitting in a under John the Baptist with preaching and passion in his soul. The Bible said he cried. John didn't whisper that. John didn't get up there and fix his little tie and set his little glasses on his nose and say, repent. My suggestion to you, brethren, is repent. The Bible said that he cried. It's a word of intensity. It's like his insides were coming out of him. He said, repent. Get it out of your life. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get it out of your family. Get it out of Jerusalem. Get it out of the kingdom of Jerusalem. Whatever you've got to do, get it out of your life. Get it out. You know what? We need a voice. We need a voice in the wilderness. Part of what really shook me this week to preach this on Sunday morning, I've been wrestling with it for a while, but this week, and I don't have time to go into all the details, okay, but I was studying this week on the Puritans a little bit and just different people in the, in the past that have kind of made statements. Puritan, all it means is they were purists. They desired purity in the church. They were far from getting it all right. But they were sick of seeing the church being exiled from its original intent. If that makes any sense. They were sick of the corruption that was in the church. And, and people were buying, buying their families out of hell. And it was, it was corruption. And the Puritans said, you know, hey, we're at least going to stand up and make our voice heard. And. They fell, they fell a little bit short on the doctrine. But I was listening to this man that was speaking about the Puritans. And he made a statement that actually was not dealing with the Puritans. He just kind of like brings it to modern day. And he said, this is what he said. He said, you know the problem with preachers now? He said, the problem with modern preachers is nobody wants to kill them.
Think about that, church. Boy, I'm glad you don't. I mean, you may have wanted to before. Think about this. Jesus said he's going to Jerusalem. Thomas said, well, boys, I guess we'll go with him. Because if he's going to die, we'll go die with him. That's what he said. We are so used to having it so safe. Playing it so safe. You know, we live in this politically correct system where everything you say has to be pleasing to the ear. That's in the scripture. Am I out of the book yet? They got itching ears. And men with soothing words. We don't even believe it strong enough to be convicted if tried in a case that we believe it. We'd rather stand up and say, well, when it all hits the fan, I'll stand for the Lord then. No, you won't. Gonna be seven years, and I'm man. When they sign that peace treaty, I'm gonna serve God for the next seven years. Oh my Lord! Well, I know. I'm, I'm telling you right now. I about know. I know about when He's gonna come because they're they're gonna sign that treaty. And okay, all right. I'll give. I'll give it to you. I'm not joining you. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt for a moment. I want to just say, they may sign the peace treaty, and we may have seven more years in Israel. Okay, we may. But that's before the coming of the Lord. That's not before him coming for you. Well, I got my mind wrapped around it. I know when the Lord's coming. Yeah, do you, do you know when an 18-wheeler is going to cross the center line and fall asleep? Come on, somebody. How many people have woke up and said, next week I'm going to go do this. James fixed this. He said, we ought to say, if God wills, then next week we'll go into a city and do such and such. I'm telling you right now, you may feel like you got a handle on the end time, but you don't have a handle on the mind of God. And I'm saying to you today that if my heart wasn't right with God and I felt like there was a spot or a wrinkle, I would repent because the kingdom of heaven... I, I'm, I'm mesmerized and amazed. I'm, I'm past my time. I'm mesmerized and amazed at people who think because they get a fish tattooed on them and stick one on the back of their car that now, well, they're, they're going to paradise. I mean, you got a 10-cent bumper sticker that you paid seven fifty for. It says, Jesus is my Savior, and you have crucified your flesh. We need a revival that doesn't just shake our city and shake our nation and shake our world. We need a revival that shakes the church. We need a revival that gets us out of this idea that everybody's got to be happy with the Scripture. You know what, folks? I didn't write the book. (laughs) And what I'm about to say, I could be crucified for if you take me out of context. In my heart of mercy, I don't always want to agree with the book. Is there anybody here that could stand with me on that? 
You know where I learned that lesson? I learned that lesson with Margot Jones. When I said it, that's not fair at school one day. I never said it at school again where she could hear it. I said, that's not fair. And Margot Jones made me write, life is not fair, but God is just. I think I had to write it 500 times. But I may have only wrote it 100 times and Jody wrote it like, I don't know. I don't know if she could tell the difference in our handwriting or not, but she didn't look past the first page anyway. We had it. You know what? I'm going to throw something out there, folks. Are you ready? You're going to judge me. I don't think the scripture is fair by the convictions of men. But it's fair because God put it in his word. Mercy has been extended to us to show us this is not new. We're reaching back over 6,000 years and establishing with men. You don't just eat whatever fruit you want and then stay in the garden. Am I, am I helping anybody? Like in my heart, I read that and I go, oh, give him one more chance. Please let him back in. Pastor, they deserve to sing in the choir. Please. Give them one more chance. The Lord said, who are they going to learn from? There's nobody else but Adam and Eve. That's it. Who are they going to learn from? He said they're going to learn by the sweat of their brow, by the bruising of their heel, by the thorn in their flesh. That's how they're going to learn. They're going to learn because life is tough. And when you make tough decisions, you have tough consequences. But the truth of the matter is, he gave us relief from the consequence. We may have to struggle for a while and go through some things. And we may have to have some things. But ultimately, in the end, it is his grace and his mercy and his blood, his kindness that leads us to repentance and say, you may have suffered on the earth because of a decision that you made. But I will take that sin from you. I will redeem you from that sin. You may bear the scar of it, but you won't pay the price for it. Let's stand together. I'm feeling it right now, man. We got, we got crock pots that are on Wi-Fi getting turned down right now. Maybe the Lord just gave me a patent revelation, Bishop. We need a Pentecostal crock pot that you can adjust by Wi-Fi. It goes on record. It's on video. I said it first. Don't you try to invent it. <laughs> Pentacroc. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> this week. I was reading about one man who was very convicted in history. 
He was trying to figure it all out and do what was right. His doctrine was messed up a little bit. He was trying to, just trying to find it, you know. They said he started having these meetings. They would gather at the church and he would preach every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. And over 4,000 people at a time were coming to the 6 o'clock service saying we see the rebellion that's in the church and we just want God to help us fix it. I'm not saying he had it all together. I'm saying that we need a voice in the wilderness that will cry out, look church, this is going to sound short. God knows my heart. I don't mean this to sound short. Okay, please. Does everybody know pastor loves you? This is, I want to tell you something. Whether people show up here on Sundays and Wednesdays or not, the word still goes forth. Amen. I, I don't want that to sound like I'm being insensitive. I want you here every time the doors are open. What I'm saying is it, it's going to happen. Whether anybody's here or not, I'm going to preach. Bishop's going to preach. Somebody is going to preach. Whether you're here at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning or not, this young man is going to break it down Gerber style every Sunday morning. That was phenomenal this morning. Oh, my word. I'm saying this, and I, I don't mind going on record to say it. I'm saying that the church, the apostolic church, is at a crossroad of decision right now. Where we're going we're gonna to have to decide whether or not we're going to merge in to religious societies and what, or we're going to be what God called us to be and we're going to stand out and believe truth. If we'll vacillate on our doctrine a little bit here and a little bit there, you just mark it down. I've watched it happen. Bishop Bingham can tell you he's been doing this for a long time. My father can tell you. That if you start vacillating on doctrine... At all, it won't be long till baptism's not essential. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is not essential. Pastor, why are you doing this on Sunday morning? It's supposed to be evangelistic. This is evangelistic as I can get. Repent. Repent. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be. If you haven't received the Holy Ghost, you need to. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift, the Holy Ghost. I told Brother Lang today before I came up, I was choked up trying to start that song. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders today. I'm telling you, the eternal weight of leading in the kingdom of God is literally crushing at times. But I do not want to stand before God and Him look at me and say, all you had to do, son, was just preach. Just, just preach it and live it. I mean, what am I going to do? Look at Him and say, but God, if I do that, they were going to leave. God, if I do, they're not going to pay their tithes. You understand what I'm saying? 
That's not going to carry much weight on judgment day. Church family, listen to me. I'm, I'm not spitting this to the fifth row because I want you to get this right now. If you're not 100% sure right now that your heart is right with God, there has never been a better time than right now in this moment. I don't agree with everything that church preaches. You don't have to. That's the good news. You are, you are free in this country. But if you've got any questions today as to whether or not you're right with God, I believe that I would make my way to this altar even if I was hungry right now. Even if I was afraid that somebody was going to beat me to the buffet. I believe I would step out right now and say, God, is everything right between me and you? Is my heart right with you? Am I at a place that if you came back for the church or you came for me today? I carried this to this platform this morning. I'm not kidding. I, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I just walked up here to the platform and said, Jesus, take the wheel. We need God to help us right now. Because on judgment day, there will be no pity. Mercy is extended before the judgment of God, not after. And that's something that we've got to get in our spirits. It will be too late for mercy on judgment day. But there's plenty of it right now. I said there's plenty of it right now. Oh God. Shayla Mataya. This week I was on the road headed home from Oklahoma. And I was listening to an interview of a man whose family member had been murdered. And the, the man made this statement. And I literally just, I thought I was going to die for a minute in the car. Because we say things that I don't think we understand the weight of it. He went through the story with the, the news person. And he said, the interviewer, and he said, he said to that journalist, he said, you know what? I can't forgive those people for doing this to my family. And he said, if that means that I'll burn in hell forever, then so be it. He said, I'm okay. I'm okay with going to hell if it means I don't have to forgive them. there's anybody in hellfire right now they would holler back at you and say don't believe it the only picture Jesus gives us of this is a rich man in hell and a beggar at his gate and he said I am tormented tormented in these flames he said can you please send anybody bring them back from the dead I don't care who it is send somebody to my brothers and tell them whatever you do don't come here oh God I 
Well, if God sends me to hell for that, then so be it. Baby, God don't send nobody to hell. If we go, it's going to be intentional. God let us feel eternity let us feel the weight and the gravity I want to be a voice I want to be a voice because of Herod comes for me Lord and my life is taken on this earth the very next thing I see will be what I've prayed to see my whole life oh God Nobody will drag you through the pearly gates. You're not going to ride in on anybody else's walk with God. I love my wife, but I can't take her with me. I want to take my children with me, but they know too much now. They got to decide for themselves. Oh, look, I'm not asking you to be afraid today. I'm not trying to scare heaven into you and hell out of you. I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you how it is. If you're going to make it, it's going to be because you're intentional about making it. I plan on going. And it's worth whatever it costs. Whatever I have to do, whatever I have to do, I must be saved. I must be saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Thank you, Jesus.